You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. If you went into any major city in America and you took a poll, which we kind of did, and you walk around and go, what is a Christian? Or are you a Christian? What kind of answers would you get? You might get, I was raised in a Christian home. Of course I'm Christian. I was baptized Catholic. Of course I'm Christian. I'm a Methodist. Of course I'm Christian. I go to Calvary Chapel, Cape May. Of course I'm Christian. I read my Bible every day. I always attend a church. I don't do anything to hurt other people. I'm basically a nice person. A lot of people would say they are Christian, but don't actually have a relationship with Jesus or know what it means to be a disciple. In today's message, Pastor Dave will encourage you to take a closer look at what it really means to be a follower of Jesus, dedicated to looking like him more and more every day. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of Acts chapter 4 as he begins his message. What is a Christian? Please turn in your Bibles, Acts chapter 4, verse 12. I'll read aloud if you want to read along silently. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. How many of you remember the classic book, Through the Looking Glass? Maybe you remember it by Alice in Wonderland, Lewis Carroll. Let me read you an excerpt from this book. I don't know what you mean by glory, Alice said. Humpty Dumpty smiled contemptuously. Of course you don't, till I tell you. I meant there's a nice knockdown argument for you. But glory doesn't mean a nice knockdown argument, Alice objected. When I use the word, Humpty Dumpty said in a rather scornful tone, it means just what I choose it to mean, neither more nor less. The question is, said Alice, whether you can make words mean so many different things. The question is, said Humpty Dumpty, which is to be master, that's all. This morning, as I said, I want to take verse 12, and I want to explore it a little bit and open up some, some different things, some different dialogue the Lord has laid upon my heart. And I guess we're going to begin by asking some questions today. And I guess the first question I want to ask is, how would you answer this question? question. What is a Christian? What is a Christian? Have you ever thought about just exactly what a Christian is? When you think of this, it's not that easy to answer sometimes because everything depends upon how you define the word Christian. You can't really tell who is a Christian and who isn't until you define the word and give a meaning to the word. In recent polls taken in America, 92% of Americans believe in God. 83% of them call themselves Christians. Nice numbers. If you went into any major city in America and you took a poll, which we kind of did, and you walk around and go, what is a Christian? Or are you a Christian? 
What kind of answers would you get? You might get, I was raised in a Christian home. Of course I'm Christian. I was baptized Catholic. Of course I'm Christian. I'm a Methodist. Of course I'm Christian. I go to Calvary Chapel, Cape May. Of course I'm Christian. I read my Bible every day. I always attend a church. I don't do anything to hurt other people. I'm basically a nice person. I'm a moral and upright citizen. Of course I'm a Christian. I do a lot of work for charities. I give away a lot of money. Of course I'm a Christian. Well, I walked down an aisle. I said a prayer. I signed a card and I raised my hand. I'm a Christian. You could easier say a Christian is anyone who wants to call himself a Christian, right? Which is basically how the pollsters came up with 83% of Americans who said, basically, if I say I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. That's just what Humpty Dumpty said to Alice, wasn't it? When I use a term, it means whatever I choose it to mean. Nothing more, nothing less. I found this great essay, an unnamed essay, by the way, on the internet, and I looked at it, and it really comes to the same conclusion that we just came to. Let me read you this excerpt. We accept as Christian any individual or group who devoutly, thoughtfully, seriously, and prayerfully regards themselves to be Christian. Included are the Roman Catholic Church, the Eastern Orthodox Churches, conservative, mainline, and liberal Christian faith groups, the Church of Jesus Christ of the Latter-day Saints, the Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, and a thousand or so other religious organizations that identify themselves as Christians. Also included are those who consider themselves to be Christian, even though they don't identify themselves with any particular religious group. That's what that essay said. So he says basically the same thing that we just said. It's interesting because the writers of this essay, they acknowledge the reality is that they made the definition so broad that they've emptied it of any meaning. They've emptied the word Christian of any meaning that it might have by using this broad paintbrush to paint exactly what a Christian is. This is a worldview. There's no consensus on what the word means, and they have no other choice. It means whatever you want it to mean, whatever you choose it to mean, that's what the word Christian means. But we need to define the word. We need to know what Christian means according to what the Bible says. We need to come up with a biblical view of the word Christian, and we need to define the word. If you go to a dictionary, which I did, the definition of Christian might look something like this. A person professing belief in Jesus the Christ as Messiah or in the religion based on the teachings of Jesus. I believe that's a good start. But like many dictionaries, it falls short of the biblical meaning and the biblical truth of what it means to be Christian. We've been studying the Truth Project on Wednesday nights. And the objective of the Truth Project is to get us to seek God, to draw closer to God and come up with a biblical world view. In other words, view the world through the Bible, a biblical worldview, not viewing the world as the world views it with a, with a secular worldview, a view that comes through the Bible and is filtered through the Bible, getting a view of that. We need to know what the Bible says about the word Christian. You know that the word Christian is only mentioned three times in the Bible. It's only mentioned three times in the Bible. I'm only going to talk about one of those times. That is the first time it's ever mentioned. The first time it's ever mentioned is Acts 11.26. In Acts 11.26, it says the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. That's what it says in Acts 26. Why were they called Christians? They were called Christians because their behavior, their activity, and their speech was like Christ. That's why they were called Christians. 
the word Christian literally means belonging to the party of Christ or followers of Christ. Some have even said it means little Christ's. Unfortunately, over time, the word Christian has lost a great deal of its significance. And now it's often used for someone who is religious or has a high moral values who may or may not be a true follower of Jesus Christ. It means whatever the world wants it to mean. Many people, according to our polls that we took today and we looked at, who don't believe in trust in Jesus Christ, consider themselves Christians simply because they go to church or live in a Christian nation. They consider themselves to be a Christian. But you know as well as I do, or at least I hope you do, that going to church, serving those who are less fortunate of you, and being a good person does not, in and of itself, make you a Christian. Being a member of a church, attending services regularly, giving to the work of the church through tithing does not make you a Christian according to what the Bible teaches. All of these might be considered Christian activities or things that Christians may do, but alone, in and of themselves, they do not make one person a Christian because you do those things. The Bible teaches that good works that we do, no matter how good they are, can never make us acceptable in God's eyes. Paul says, writing to Titus in Titus 3, 5, but when kindness and the love of God our Savior towards man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we've done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Spirit. How did he save us? Through the washing and regeneration of the renewal of Spirit. What does that mean? Jesus said it more clearly than that. The washing and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said to Nicodemus in John 3, verse 3, he said, Most assuredly I say to you, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He repeats it in John 3, 7. Do not marvel that I said you must be born again by the washing, regeneration, and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Peter whom we're studying, who said the very words that we're studying today, says in his first epistle in 123, having been born again, talking about those, those believers, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God which lives and abides forever. Jesus said, you must be born again. We must be born of the spirit. It's a spiritual rebirth. Remember Nicodemus' argument? How can a man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? We must be born of water, and we must be born of the Spirit. When we're bored, we're kind of in an upside-down state where our body is up and our soul and our spirit's on the bottom. When we come into a relationship with Jesus Christ by putting our faith, by putting our trust, by putting our belief that he is the Messiah, he is the one that came and died for us, there's a change is made, and a regeneration takes place, and our spirit comes up top, and it's spirit, soul, and body. And we're born anew. Some people say we're born from above. To be born again is a person who puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Well, what does trust mean? Trust means that you place a strong belief in the person in whom you're trusting is dependable and honest. To trust means to expect, to hope, to rely and depend. When we trust someone, we must have faith in them. We put our faith and our hope in them that they will do or accomplish that which they promised to do. It's interesting because according to the Bible, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. We're hoping in something that we haven't seen, but yet there's evidence when we hope. And we have this evidence of things that we don't know, but we believe because we see these things before our eyes. 
Only I standing here, and maybe my wife, <laughs> probably my wife, knows just how rotten and horrible I was and still can be. Only I've seen the regeneration in my life. When I see people from the outside, they marvel at what has happened within me by the Holy Spirit, that regeneration, that washing and making anew. But we put faith, we take faith, believing in something that we can't see, believing in a substance because of the evidence, and we place it in Jesus Christ for forgiveness and salvation, we're saved. Paul says to the Ephesians 2.8, he says, by grace you have been saved through faith. That's not of yourself. There was a gift of God. So we didn't even have the faith to believe when the time came for us to believe. God gave us the measure of faith that we would believe in him at that time. So a true Christian is a person who has put faith and trust in the person and the work of Jesus Christ, which includes his death on the cross as payment for sins and his resurrection from the dead, which gives us life everlasting and eternal life. When we do this, we go from being of our father, the devil, to becoming a child of God. And this is scriptural, John 1.12. In John 1.12, it says, yet to all who receive him, that's Jesus, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So we become God's children when we place our faith and our hope and our trust in the sacrificial body of Jesus Christ, the sacrificial blood that was born for us. Aren't we all born God's children? Actually, no, we're all born children of Adam. We're all born in sin. We're all born with the sin debt placed upon us. We're all born in sin. The Bible says if you're not born again, you're of your father, Satan. But God clearly gives us a picture. He clearly gives us this. And we all want to become children of God. The mark of a true Christian is the love and the obedience to God's word. Love and obedience to God's word. Jesus says, you call me Lord, Lord, but why don't you do what I say? Why don't you do the things I ask you to do? What does Jesus ask you to do? In 1 John 2 verse 3, he says, now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. There's that thing again. Keep his commandments. What do I have to do? He's given me commandments. What did Jesus command us to do? In John 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I, Jesus says, has loved you, that you love one another. So let's put this together. A true Christian is indeed a child of God, part of God's true family, and one who is given a new life in Jesus Christ. He's been regenerated. He's been reborn. He's been born from above. And yes, you say he's been born again. And when you mention that in a crowd, you go, born again, they all go, oh. They all jump back when you say born again because, oh my gosh. Creates all these wild images and things in their mind. You freak, you've been born again. But I'm new. There's a newness now in me. And scripturally, in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, all things have become new. So I have a, this new creation of me is now walking around. It's the new Dave. It's the new person who, because of the born again relationship that I have with Jesus Christ. Because the regeneration that happens. And it happens deep within my soul and the Holy Spirit. And it starts to work on the outside. And the next thing you know, I'm not cussing like a sailor who drives a truck. I used to always say truck drivers cuss until I had a real good friend who was a truck driver. But, so, but anyhow, you get what I'm saying. He starts to clean up your act. Your act is becoming clean up and all of a sudden you're not doing the things he used to do. 
Because there's difference. You start leaving this life and you start striving towards a holy life, a life to be set apart by God. We prayed about that. We want to be set apart. God has set us apart by his Holy Spirit. The new creation means that there's going to be evidence in your life. The old has passed away. The new man has been reborn. There's that born again again, born again again. We ended last week with this scripture. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That's the scripture we end with. That's the only scripture we're looking at today. When we discussed this, it was viewed, and when you say this, when you say this in a crowd, you're viewed as very narrow-minded. You're viewed as very, very strict and very, very intolerant because of what you just said. Jesus said, straight is the gate, narrow is the way that leads to eternal life in Matthew 7, 14. Jesus said, strive that you may enter the straight gate in Luke 13, 24. When you say that, people go, oh, you're too narrow-minded. You don't have a broad view. You need a broader view. You need a broader path. You have to be more liberal. You have to accept other religions. You have to accept other faiths. You have to let, because there's all many, many ways to God. We saw that when we took our poll in in, in this morning. There are many, many different ways to God. Who's to say that the Hindus are wrong? Who's to say that Confucius was wrong? Well, for one thing, Confucius said he was wrong on his deathbed. Who's to say these people are wrong? The Word of God says they're wrong. The Word of God says they're wrong. It's not Dave's Word. I'm not condemning anybody. The Word of God is what we go by, and the Word of God says they're wrong. Peter declares in our Scripture today, there is salvation by no other. Think about that. There is salvation by no other. Immediately, and we used this scripture last week, immediately John 14, 6 comes to mind. You have all can quote it. You can probably quote it with me. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No man comes to the Father except by me, Jesus said. Well, you're too narrow. You're too narrow. And anytime you get in that conversation, and I've had that conversation, it brings up tons of opinions. Everybody has an opinion about that. And the first question I'm always asked, and I probably said this last week, what about the person who's never heard of Jesus Christ? What about the pygmies in Africa? I always pick on the poor pygmies in Africa. I don't know why. It's all a Tarzan movie last night. What about the pygmies in Africa? What about them? What about those poor suckers? What about the pygmies in Africa? Last week we said there's 1.5 billion people that never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, that never even heard the name Jesus. 1.5 billion. We said there's 3 billion people walking around who are perishing in the world today who have heard the message of Jesus Christ but haven't accepted. What about them? You know, this type of questioning, we need to go directly to the source. We can't have an opinion. I can't tell you what I think. I need to tell you what God thinks because this is the basis. This is the source that we go to. Remember I said we're going to go look at the book of Romans? Well, there are seven truths in the book of Romans. There are seven truths in the book of Romans that will help answer the question, what about us? What about the poor pygmies in Africa who never heard of Jesus Christ? There's four truths. The first truth we have in the book of Romans is that all people have knowledge of God. All people have knowledge of God. Paul has this beautiful introduction to the book of Romans, to the church at Rome. And he has this wonderful, wonderful treatise that he's laying out for them. And after his introduction, he talks about this just living by faith. And he gives them the answer. He gives the answer before he starts laying out the problem. 
And I love it. In verse 16, he said, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. So Paul gives the answer first. And then he moves into the problem. He moves into this problem that we have. He says, all people have the knowledge of God. If you look at Romans 18, and I'm going to read it, Romans 18, I'm going to stop in what I call 21a, in Romans chapter 1, 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and the unrighteous of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so they are without excuse, because although they knew God, stop there, although they knew God, all people have the knowledge of God. How do they have the knowledge of God? He is revealed in his creation. His creation reveals God to us. But what happens is we end up worshiping the creation instead of the creator. We end up making wooden images of birds and animals and stuff that we worship instead of God himself, who was the creator of all things. People have the knowledge of God, Paul is saying. The second truth we find here is that all people reject God. All people reject God. That's our second truth. We can find that in the second part of verse 21. Although they knew God, they did not glorify in him as God, nor were they thankful, but they became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. They changed the glory of the incorruptible God into image made like the corruptible man and the birds and the four-footed animals and the creepy things. And he goes on and goes on and tells us about the depravity of man and how we are so deprived in such a rotten, filthy state Sometimes when you read that, it, it just makes your skin crawl and scathe when you read that, that treatise. You should read down through verse 31. You know, what Paul is telling us here is that God has revealed himself through nature. The man can know God through nature. Nature is a revelation of God, we said. It's speaking of the existence of God. It speaks to man loudly. It's declaring the glory of God, his power, his wonders. But if a man doesn't want to hold the truth of God, if he doesn't want to glorify God as God, what he does is he separates himself and he would rather elevate himself than God. Then he becomes elevated and he becomes lifted up and God becomes small. I'm God and I am the master of my own fate. I'm the captain of my own soul. I am God. I am self-governed man. You talk to Frank Sinatra, he'll tell you, he did it his way, my way, not God's way. Then as man looks at nature, he looks at nature from a presuppositional position that God doesn't exist. He's looking at nature like there can't be a God. He's looking at it because if he's God, if he's, he's, if he's all powerful, he's looking at nature and said, God can't exist. Look, then he attempts to explain the phenomena of nature apart from God's phenomena, the natural phenomena, the creation. He said everything happened by circumstances. Oh, it was just fortuitous. It was just a fortuitous occurrence that happened, and here we are. It doesn't make sense. Doesn't make sense. Doesn't make sense. Billions and billions and billions of years, and all of a sudden we're here. Just like that. Man rejects God. Man rejects God. Given a decision, man will always go towards the dark. You are a sure. 
You've been listening to Pastor Dave on A Sure Hope. Pastor Dave is working his way through the book of Acts. Did you know that the first martyr for Jesus was a great man of faith? His name was Stephen, and he was bold and courageous to proclaim the name of Jesus to others. He wasn't afraid to tell the truth, even when it cost him his life. What courage in the midst of opposition. Do you think you could do the same in this day and age? It's hard to stand up for Jesus when everyone around you is telling you you're intolerant, unloving, and just looking to put people down if you tell them they're doing something wrong. But what makes things right or wrong is firmly rooted in Scripture. It's God's Word that should direct morality, and Stephen was unafraid to go there. If you like this message and would like to catch up on any message you may have missed, head over to AsureHopeRadio.com. There you'll find many messages from the Book of Acts, as well as other series. If you find yourself in the Cape May, New Jersey area, stop in and see us. All the information you need is on our website, location, directions, and service times. And if you prefer to call, you can do that too. Our number is 609-884-5821. Once more, that's 609-884-5821. We'd be happy to answer any questions over the phone. Well, that's all we have time for today, but we've loved spending this time with you. We look forward to the next edition of A Sure Hope.